0: Well, my name is Ron Cullen. and I'm one of the pastors here as well, and it is uh, a joy to welcome all of you here. And I want to begin this morning by asking you to think about how you would answer a question. Let's imagine that you had to write an essay or give a little short speech, but here's the question that I want you to kind of think that you would answer here. What is God like? What is God like? Imagine that you had to kind of just give a two-minute speech on that. How would you use, the, what words would you use to describe God? How would you find yourself trying to, trying to define who God is? Some of you might say, I, I really don't know who God is. Some of you might say, I, at one level, I don't really care because I don't want to deal in abstractions. I want to worry about what's going on in my life, and, and I've got to get practical stuff. I've got challenges, so I, I don't know what God is like, and, and I don't—it it just doesn't seem to matter what God is like. Well, I want to suggest—we're that going to start this, a new series here this morning, I want to suggest that understanding who God is like and understanding who God is is absolutely essential for us. And it makes the biggest difference in our lives. So how would you answer that question? What is God like? Some of you are familiar with a, uh, an essay that was supposedly, and I'm sure, written by an eight-year-old boy, Danny Dutton, from Chula Vista, California. He was trying to answer that question of what is God like. And this is what he wrote. He said, uh, again, a third grader, eight years old, one of God's main jobs is making people. He makes them to replace the ones that die so there will be enough people to take care of things here on earth. He doesn't make grown-ups, just babies. I think because they are smaller and easier to make. That way he doesn't have to take up his valuable time teaching them to talk and walk. He can just leave that to mothers and fathers. God's second most important job is listening to prayers. An awful lot of this goes on since some people, like preachers and things, pray at times besides bedtime. God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV on account of this. Since he hears everything, not only prayers, there must be a terrible lot of noise in his ears unless he has thought of a way to turn it off. God sees everything and hears everything and is everywhere, which keeps him pretty busy. So you shouldn't go wasting his time by going over your parents' head asking for something they said you couldn't have. Atheists are people who don't believe in God. I don't think there are any in Chula Vista. At least there aren't any who come to our church. (laughs) Jesus, (laughs) Jesus is God's son. He used to do all the hard work like walking on water and performing miracles and trying to teach the people who didn't want to learn about God. They finally got tired of him preaching to them, and they crucified him. But he was good and kind like his father, and he told his father that they didn't know what they were doing and to forgive them, and God said, okay. His dad, God, appreciated everything that he had done and all his hard work on earth, so he told him he didn't have to go out on the road anymore. (laughs) He could stay in heaven, and so he did. And now he helps his dad out by listening to prayers and seeing things which are important for God to take care of and which ones he can take care of himself without having to bother God like the secretary, only more important, of course. You can pray anytime you want, and they are sure to hear you because they got it worked out, so one of them is on duty all the time. You should always go to church on Sunday because it makes God happy, and if there's anybody you want to be happy, it's God. Don't skip church to do something you think will be more fun, like going to the beach. This is wrong. And besides, the sun doesn't come out at the beach until noon anyway. If you don't believe in God, besides being an atheist, you will be very lonely because your parents can't go everywhere with you, like to camp, but God can. It is good to know he's around when you're scared in the dark or when you can't swim very good and get thrown into real deep water by big kids. But you shouldn't just always think of what God can do for you. I figure God put me here and he can take me back anytime he pleases. And that is why I believe in God. Pretty good words, huh? What is God like? How would you describe him? What are the words that you would use? What, 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 how do we picture him and so on? Well, we're going to start a, a journey of, of 10 weeks of looking at that question of what is God like, of, uh, of what is his heart like, of how do we see him? And in order to guide us through this journey, we're going to uh, turn to one of the Old Testament prophets, a prophet by the name of Isaiah. He was one of the major prophets. In fact, his prophet prophecy book is the longest there is in the Old Testament. And, and, and before we look at his words specifically, I want to take just a little bit of time to introduce you to Isaiah. We're going to spend 10 weeks with him, and so just let you get to know Isaiah a little bit. want to introduce him to you, give you an idea of, of, of what he was like, of who he was, and so on. Isaiah lived from 760 around there B.C. to about 695 B.C. Okay, we don't know an actual birth date, an actual death date, but, but somewhere in there, okay, 760, 755, somewhere in there to 695. So lived about 60, 65, 70 years, something like that, which was fairly long for that day. His time as a prophet was about 45 of those years. All right so he was uh, he was a prophet for uh, his entire life. He he lived in Jerusalem, okay? So he was a city kind of guy. Some of the prophets were were country guys. Isaiah was a a city kind of guy. He lived in Jerusalem, and he spoke primarily to Judah. Now, if you're like me, that's sometimes confusing. And so let me just kind of remind you of some of this, of of how this works. The whole blue and gold area together is Israel, okay, as a nation. That's, That's the whole thing. But after Solomon, who was the third king, after Solomon, then the nation was divided into the northern kingdom, And that's called the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom down here, which is called the kingdom of Judah. So you've got Israel as the whole thing, but Israel is also the northern kingdom. And if you're wondering, if you're wondering how you can kind of remember that the way I do it, this is my little holy trick. It's alphabetical coming down, right? I J Israel Judah, and and so that's how I remember that Israel's on top. Like I know that the Kolhoff's kids are Ian and Josh because they're alphabetical. So you just you know I mean so anyway that's what I do. That he's from Jerusalem here, and he primarily speaks to the kingdom of Judah. In fact, by the end of the time, uh, by the end of the time that um, that Isaiah's done prophesying, the northern kingdom will be gone. Okay, they'll be taken away into exile. So, all right, he's from Jerusalem. He spoke to Judah. We know he was married, he had at least two kids. Okay, he had at least two sons because he used them in his prophecies. Uh, the prophets of that time, and my kids can be thankful I didn't do this, but the prophets at that time we would use their kids' names. And so the first son or one of the, the first son we get named is this, Shiar Jashub, which means a remnant shall return. Okay, so what, what happened, is going to say, you know, God's going to take you into exile, but he's going to bring one of your kids, he's going to bring some of you back, a remnant. And so he names his first child Shiar Jashub, a remnant shall return. The next boy wasn't so lucky, okay? The next boy, his name was Shalal Hashbaz, which means spoil quickly, plunder speedily. In other words, you are going down. It's like naming your child vandalism. I mean, right, this is my son, vandalism, we call him Van for short, the first Dutch guy in the Bible, right? I mean, this is, but that's what he, you know, this poor kid had to go through, my name is rotten, my name is I'm spoiling. My name is I'm, I'm, I'm rotting from the inside out. But that's what, that's what Isaiah would do is, is to kind of preach with, with the names of his kids and so on. So he was married with at least two sons. He was well-connected, okay? I, Isaiah would have fit well in Cutlerville. Let me just tell you that. He, he was middle to upper middle class. He was connected with the king. He could get into the power politics. He could get into the business community. He was aware of all of those things. And, and so Isaiah would have fit pretty well into this kind of an area and of course he was a prophet and I want to take a little bit more time on this one um, and and talk about what what are the Old Testament prophets really about okay so let's talk just a little bit about Old Testament prophets in general because I, I think sometimes we have this idea that what a prophet was was somebody who predicted the future right that their main job was to say what's going to happen, to predict the future, to say this is coming. When, when somebody has the, the gift of prophecy, what we say is, wow, well, they can see into the future. They are a seer. But that's not what a prophet was in the Old Testament. The, the main job of the prophet in the Old Testament was to, to bring God's word and truth into a current situation. The the main job of the prophet was really, that's why part of the role of a preacher is to be a prophet. It's taking what we know about God, and and it's applying it to a situation. It's saying, this is what God has to say about this. This is what God is thinking about this. And so, most of what the prophet said, most of what the prophet said was already known, okay? One of the reasons that the, in the Bible we, make, we talk about the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those five books are so important, all right, because they, they set the groundwork. And, 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 and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy in particular give all of God's laws, okay, and, and what the prophets do is they basically say, you know what, this is what God said. This is how God called you to live. This is what's going on, and and this is what's going to happen. And everything they said was rooted in words that had already been written, okay? Everything they said, they didn't come up with new ideas. The the prophets didn't come up with new ideas and shock people and surprise people by what they said. They said, look, you knew this. You knew what God was like. You knew what God had called you to do. Let me give you an example of that. We we go to the Ten Commandments, all right? Exodus chapter 20 says this, and God spoke all these words. Saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he lists the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. I list here, number three. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, okay? Don't swear. You shall not murder, number six. Seven is you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Every Jewish person of Isaiah's day, of Hosea's day, of all the prophets, they would have known these Ten Commandments. They would have known those books of the, those first five books, just known them so well. And and look at what Hosea, we'll use Hosea as an example here, but but look at what Hosea says in Hosea chapter four, uh, verses one and two, it says this, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only, what, cursing, Commandment number three, lying, nine, murder, six, stealing, eight, adultery, seven. They broke, uh, break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. So what the prophet is doing, what the preacher in this is doing, the prophet is saying, look, here's the deal. You guys, you know the commandments, and look at what we see around us. There's murder, and there's lying, and there's uh, cursing, and, and, and stealing, and, and it's very clear. And then in verse three, Hosea says, because of this, the land dries up. And all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. That's at the heart, that's, that's the prophets over and over and over again. It's saying, this is what God said, this is what you've done, and this is what's going to happen. And it's rooted in the fact that God says, look, I, I put before you, God gives us the way of life. We talked about this in our series on fatal attractions, Right? How these things that promise us life are ultimately destructive. How, how lust, when it gets a hold of us, it destroys us. How greed destroys us. How envy destroys us. And, and what God says, go my way because my way is life. And if you don't go my, you're, my way, you're going to experience death. Again, let's go back to Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. God God has given all of his laws, and then he says this, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. So when Hosea is saying, look, all the fish are dying and all the cows are dying, it's because we didn't choose the way of life. We we chose to disobey God. We chose to do something on our own. And God said, you know what, if that happens, and, and in a sense, you know, God actively punishes in other sense what god just does is say here's the result god doesn't have to send anything it just happens when we disobey god when we try to live in our own way and so the prophets were coming time and time again and 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 basically they were applying what was known this is what god said And, and, and so very little very little did they do of predicting the future now they did some most of it was rooted in saying, God said, this is what the problem is going to be, that, that you're going to choose death, that you're going to go into exile, that you'll lose the land, that you'll lose the king, and, and so most of that, they did do some prophesying. They did do some, see, there I go. They, they did do some predicting, I should say, right? They did do some predicting of the future, but this is something I think in, not every preacher, especially those on TV, are not going to agree with me on this one, um, but in our tradition and, and so on, here's, here's something we need to understand, that almost all of what they did predict has already happened. In the Old Testament, among Old Testament prophets, almost everything that they said was going to happen has already happened. And so when a preacher gets up and says, I'm going to show you from the Old Testament what's going to happen in the future, it's just not there. Most of it has already happened either before Jesus... A lot of times in this stuff, the, the, Isaiah is going to say, you know, you're going to go into exile, right? That You remember his first child, and a remnant shall return. That already happened before Jesus, okay? The nation of Israel was reestablished before Jesus. That's what the Bible is talking about. It happened either before Jesus, or it happened in Jesus. We're going to look at that during Advent, during the Christmas season, to see how Isaiah had a beautiful picture of who God was in his coming in Jesus Christ. But, and, and this is, I think, a, a really interesting stat, um, and it comes from some guys who I think are really great Bible teachers, but, but Gordon Fee and, and Douglas Stewart say this, less than 1% of Old Testament prophecy is yet to come. More than 99% of it has already happened. So friends, don't waste your time i'm i'm I, 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 I turn off the tv watch sports center it's better than some of that garbage on, on the religious channels but when somebody's getting up and saying oh all this has to happen from it's less than one percent friends it's already happened in christ and in the church and 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 yes there is some that is yet to come god is going to make all things new at the end of this series we'll look at isaiah seeing that new day that's yet to come and so there is some of that but the great majority of it friends has already happened so a prophet was basically a preacher a, a, somebody who took God's word and applied it into that situation, all right? Then the last thing to notice about Isaiah is that he lived in really interesting times, okay? So, I, you know, I mean... <laughs> Let me just tell you a little bit about the story that's going on and and what's going on with Israel. All right, here's a map of the Mediterranean Sea, and Rome is there. Italy, you see at the boot to the left, Greece, Egypt down on the bottom. Israel is, again, right here, okay? Now, in order to understand Israel in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, I'm kind of teaching more than preaching right now, but we'll preach in a minute. But in order to understand Israel in the Old Testament, you need to understand that there were two superpowers, basically, in the Old Testament times. There were two superpowers in the Old Testament time, and they had a huge impact on it. The first was Egypt, okay? Egypt was the first major superpower, and for much of the Old Testament, Egypt was in control of the entire world, okay? And that had a huge impact on Israel. The other one is this area over here, which was Assyria and then Babylon and Persia. Um, All of those kind of coming together. um, They're separate nations, but they all were over there, okay? And, and, And so Egypt, until about 1,000 B.C., dominated the entire world, And and she went down after that, and Assyria kind of picks up about 800 or so. But uh, uh, both of those things were huge in in impacting Israel and and in making a difference. Now, one other thing, and and Ray Vanderlein is the one where I heard this, but I think it's so helpful for us and so challenging for us. But you'll notice that yellow line that I just made black there is a trade route. And and, and you'll notice something, right? Between the two superpowers, Egypt and Assyria, um, between those two superpowers is what? Israel. God took his people and he put them right in the middle. God put them right in the middle of the superpowers, and the reason God did that is that God's intention for his people, and it still is this way today, but God's intention for his people was that Israel would be a different nation, that Israel would be unique, and that when people would go past them, when people would see them, they'd say, what's up with you folks? Why are you this way? Why do you do this? You're honest, and you have integrity, and you have compassion, and you seek justice. And and God's intention was that everybody would see him because of the way his people were living. Look at the way God does this in Ezekiel 36, verse 23. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy, how? Through you before their eyes when I am through, proved, proved holy through you. So God's intention was that, and now it's a yellow line again, but God's intention was that as people looked at Israel, they'd say, why are you the way you are? And, and like I say, that's still for us today. In fact, uh, that's why our, our vision statement as a church right now is, is, is to make the kingdom of God, is that the, we'll be a community where the kingdom of God is becoming increasingly real and visible in every aspect of our lives. Because we think God calls us to be in the middle today. Okay, God calls you to be in your business. God calls you to be in your neighborhood. God calls you to be in your school. God calls you to be in all of those places, but he calls you to be different. He calls you to honor him, to recognize him. And by doing that, by being that, people will look and say, what's going on with all of you guys there? We, one of my favorite, going way back to a, a, a situation, let me just, because this I think, just so challenging for us, but, but the, some of my favorite stories of why people join Hillside one of them, we had a guy who, whose daughter was getting uh, daycare from somebody in a, in a small group here at Hillside, and this person had a baby, and so every night for the next week, people were bringing in meals. This guy would pick up his child, somebody else was bringing in a meal. Pick up his child the next night, somebody was bringing in a meal. By Friday, he just said to her, what's up with this? And she said, it's people from our church. And he said, nobody in my family ever brought me a meal. Can I come to church with you? Can you tell me about this place? What are you doing there? You know, how crazy is that? But that's exactly what Ezekiel was talking about. That's exactly why God put Israel right in that place. Okay, now, let's, let's kind of bring it into Isaiah, all right? So just before Isaiah... Uh, starts this ministry. So, like 790 to 745, f- really kind of a 50 year period, um, Uzziah is the king of Israel, and this is the golden age. Okay, things are going great. Um, what happens is this you take Egypt and watch the green circle. What happens is Egypt is not doing well, they're shrinking down. Assyria is not doing well, they're shrinking down. Their influence is just not very strong. And almost every time that happens, Almost every time the two superpowers have to take care of business at home, Israel is able to grow. Their economy expands, and, 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 and their territory expands. During this period, they have the largest nation they've had since the time of Solomon. This was the glory days. And, and so in so many ways, in so many ways, it was a time of great prosperity. There was economic prosperity. There was military success. Uh, the, the churches were full. Things were going on. It, it seemed so good. So on the outside... On the outside, it looked so good. But what Isaiah sees already, even before any of the external threats start, but but something is wrong on the inside. You see the wealth, he says, is, is, is being only held by a few and people are being, uh, their homes are taking away. He talks about people put house upon house upon house and, 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 and their house is big enough to hide, you know, to, to they take three people's homes and then they leave other people homeless. There's no, there's no integrity in business. There's no compassion. There's no truth telling. There's none of that stuff. And, and so it was a culture that on the one hand, like a stock market with a bubble, right? On the one hand, it's huge. It's great. And everything is going really well. But on the inside, something is terribly, terribly. Wrong. All right, so that's going on, and the other thing that happens in the in the few years right before Isaiah, starting about 745, a guy by the name of Tiglath-Pileser III, just call him TP3, the great great grandfather of RG3, but he would just call him TP3. Right? He takes over in Assyria. He takes over. He unifies everybody, and and he starts to strengthen that. And what almost always happens against once that power gets stronger is they start to head down that trade route and they start to have battles, and they start to win, and they're getting next door to Israel. Syria is the nation still like today, just north of Israel, and, and, and TP3 is knocking on the door of Syria, okay? And now all of a sudden Israel's going, oops, how are we gonna do this? How, how, we've been able to beat them up while, they're, while Assyria is weak, but now how do we stand up against Assyria? So what we have, when, when Isaiah starts, is I think really interesting times. This is what I'm saying. In Judah, Uzziah dies, in 740 BC okay it's a key moment in in Isaiah's ministry we'll look at that but Uzziah dies in 740 BC it's it marks the end of the good age all right it marks the end of the good age there were internal problems there was a lot of unrest there were now external threats that were huge there was anxiety the future was unclear and there were disagreements again if you think politics and 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 so on starts recently no way, because you see, here's, here, let me just tell you one situation that's going on in Israel. Again, Israel is to the north, Judah to the south. And, and the question was, what do we do about the Assyrians? They're coming. And so the Syrians, not the Assyrians, the Syrians join together with Israel, the northern part, and they say, let's make an alliance and we'll stop them. And they come to Judah and they say, join us too. Well, some people in Judah said, yeah, we ought to join them. Some people in Judah said, no, let's go to Egypt. Egypt was still strong enough that with us we can stop them. Other people said, let's go to Assyria. Let's just make a deal with them. Let's cut a deal with them and, and we'll pay them tribute and so on. And so there's all this political struggling going on, and, and, and all of a sudden, life was so full of anxiety and, 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 and questions about what do we do? What do we do? And so Isaiah lived in very interesting times. And, 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 and you know, you want to talk about it. It's just if, if you know what it's like to feel anxious. If you know what it's like to be worried, those would be the people of Israel, whether it was the king or whether it was anybody else. Because everybody knew that they'd kind of been riding a nice slide, but it was going to stop. And, 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 the, and the success they had wasn't going wasn't to continue in the same way. And, and so it was huge questions about what are we going to do. One more thing about Isaiah. Isaiah's life and message were fundamentally shaped by one thing. And, and I think this is so important. What, what changed Isaiah, what shaped Isaiah, was his vision of God. Isaiah had a powerful picture of God. And this is where I want to say, for most of us, I think we kind of have this idea that theology is abstract. Theology, Ron, talk to me about practical stuff. i got to pay my bills tomorrow. And, and Isaiah would come to us and say, let me tell you the most practical thing. What we need more than anything else, Isaiah would tell us, is to picture who God is. What we need more than anything else is to understand who God is. And at the center of what gives Isaiah wisdom and courage and strength to move ahead in really uncertain times is his understanding, his picture of who God is. All right. Isaiah 6.1 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, 740, okay, at the end of the golden age, I saw the Lord. Isaiah went into the temple. He he was going to pray. Maybe offer a sacrifice. And God meets him in that place. So that's what we're calling the series. We'll come back to that, that passage in just a moment. But it's Isaiah, I saw the Lord. And, and, and what I want to argue, the, the, what, this, what this series hinges on, is, is you letting me convince you that seeing God impacts every area of our lives. That what you need more than an extra paycheck is you need to see God. What you need more than a better security system with your computer is you need to see God. What you need more than anything else is to understand God's heart. So what we're gonna do over the course of the next 10 weeks is we're gonna look at 11 facets of God's character from Isaiah. Christmas Eve adds an extra one, okay? So that's why we get 11 in 10 weeks. But 11 facets of God's character, and as we think about this, I want you to imagine a diamond with all of its different angles. And we're gonna look at different ones, but it's still one diamond, okay? God is... God is, the, we say simple, he's indivisible. God is all one. But we're gonna look at different aspects of that. And we start this morning with just a few minutes that we have left with one of the cornerstone ones that we'll be building on the next two weeks with, with other images and so on. But I saw the Lord, the Holy One. Well, I, Isaiah, when he goes in Isaiah 6, when he goes in to pray, and, and you know, I mean, he was like I say, a preacher. He was, and, 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 he, and he saw the Lord. And what he sees is the holiness of God. What he sees is the purity, the unapproachable light that is God. And we're going to see it just kills him. It, it is absolutely central to Isaiah's understanding of who God is. Let me just kind of give you some stats that I think are kind of interesting. The word holy is used to describe God in the Old Testament 59 times. Now, again, he uses holy more than that. But when it says holy God, God the holy one, holy, when holy is an adjective applied to God. 59 times in the Old Testament, 33 of these are in Isaiah. The phrase, the Holy One of Israel, appears. 32 times in the Old Testament, 25 of these are in Isaiah. Isaiah saw the Lord, and the first thing he saw, the cornerstone, was the holiness of God. And if you and I are going to get it right, if you and I are going to find our place in this world, I think that's absolutely where we need to start. We've been singing about it. But just to stop, and I want to try to capture with you a sense of what did Isaiah see when he saw the holiest of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, one other thing. Sorry, I keep doing this, huh? One other thing. Notice this. This is chapter 6. This is usually called the call of Isaiah. Because at the end of it, God, Isaiah's going to say to God, "Here am I send me? what's going on what, what, what? the two possibilities. one possibility is that you know the book when it got put together, just kind of got out of order, and Isaiah put it this way, perhaps himself but but you know this actually happened first and, and and but he comes in chapter six. That's possible. A lot of people think that's true. I happen to think that Isaiah was already preaching. Isaiah was already a follower of God. Isaiah was already sacrificing. Isaiah was already doing all of those things. But God knew that Isaiah was going to be able to, was going to need to just have such a deep understanding of him that in the middle of, not in the middle, at the beginning of his time of preaching, God gives him a glimpse of who he is. And it gives Isaiah strength. So what did Isaiah see? What did Isaiah see? Uh, When when he saw the Lord, he comes into the temple. I, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, a- and the train of his robe filled the temple. Try to join me in coming with to see this from Isaiah. I mean, so often we say, you know, what is God like? We're going to answer it like Danny Dutton does. And, and we're going to say, well, Jesus is like this Dutch guy who's holding a lamb, right? Jesus is like this guy who's, who's, who's just kind of, well, th- that's true. But it's also true that when he comes into this presence, I, I-, I think that Isaiah, notice something, he really doesn't describe God. What he says is, I I saw him, he was seated high and mighty, because I couldn't even look in his face. He was seated high and and mighty above everything else. He was so different, and and, and he was on a throne, not just a chair, but this huge, amazing throne. And and the train of his robe, he can't look at his face, the train of his robe filled the temple. And I think Isaiah just fell on his face. I think Isaiah, when he saw God, he just fell on his face, because you can't see the face of God and live. Look at this Moses. Moses. In Exodus 33, Exodus 33, then Moses said, God is talking with Moses. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. No one may see me and live. God says, you guys got to understand something. You know, you you think you can walk into God's presence? You you think you can just come? No way. God God is going to show Moses his back. He's going to hide Moses in the cleft of a rock. And and God is going to go by. And he is so holy that Moses, his face is going to shine that he's got to cover it up when he goes and talks to everybody else. He's got to cover it up. I don't think we have a clue of the holiness of God. I don't think we have a clue of what it means to come into God's presence. I don't think we have a clue of what it means. The brightness. The Apostle Paul who talked about intimacy with Jesus. Look at what he writes to Timothy. He's talking about God, the blessed and only ruler. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. Whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. I saw the Lord. But he doesn't tell us, he doesn't see the face of God, because he can't, but it's so bright, Isaiah is just kind of pulling back, and and the train of his robe filled the temple. And and he said there were angels there. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. These seraphim, they they are burning angels, they are fire angels, They, they, they are fire themselves. The word seraph means fire. They are burners. What Isaiah is saying, and, and, and think about this, okay? Isaiah says, I, I can't look at God, but I see these angels, these burners just nearby, and these fire angels, and, 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 and fire is hot, white, pure, holy. These angels are sinless, but look at what they're doing. With two wings, they're covering their faces. The angels in God's presence can't even look at them. The fire angels cannot even look at God's face. They're covering their face. They're covering their feet. They're covered from head to toe because God is so holy. God is so absolutely, completely other than us. God is so absolutely pure. God is so, that these angels are just covering themselves up. And and, and they cannot look in the face of God. And Isaiah can hardly look at these angels. But they're covering themselves up. And they're calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they're covered up. The, 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 they can't see God they can hear him and they can speak holy the other one answers holy holy is the Lord Almighty the whole earth is full of his glory holy 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 and Isaiah is there and he says at the sound of their voices at the sound of their voices the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke this is not God speaking Oh, Lord, speak, we sometimes say. Oh, Lord, speak to me. Good night, these angels spoke, and the whole building shook. Can you imagine if God had said, Isaiah? I mean, it would have just... I mean, these angels who are scared to even look at God, who who don't even know, they they know that God is so much more pure than they are, so much more holy than they are, so much more other than they are. They they speak, and the whole thing shakes, and it's filled with smoke, and we're going to come back to why that's important. And and if we're going to understand ourselves, if we're going to understand how to live, if we're going to understand God, we've got to start with His holiness, that God is other. Sometimes I'll say it, and and sometimes I'll hear others say it, and I think if we really understood it, we wouldn't say it. To say, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, God, why did you do this to me? God, why did you do this to me? You know what, anybody who's seen God face to face, you know what they've done? They've shut up. They've fallen on their faces. Think of it, Job. What does he do? Job is saying, "You know, Job was treated so unfairly. God, why, God, why? And it's not wrong to ask those questions, OK? That's why it's a diamond with all these different facets. But when Job even just hears the voice of God and God questions Job, Job just says, "I'm out of my league. I'm out of my league." And so if you think that you're going to, when you die, go into God's presence and say, why did you do this? You've got a lot to answer for the way you front run things. Friends, when we get into that place, God's holiness, when you look on his face, God's holiness is such that you will just fall on your faces. Really, I don't know if you can imagine this, but if God would open up a pinhole in this roof, if God would open up a pinhole in this roof and allow his holiness to shine through it, we would all be blind. I mean, we would all be so overwhelmed. God is completely other. And look at how Isaiah responds. He says, woe to me. It's death. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. Isaiah was a good guy. Isaiah was a preacher. Isaiah offered sacrifices. Isaiah knew he was a sinner. But he had no clue of what it was like to actually see God until he actually saw God. And when he does, he just falls on his face. And he says, woe to me. I am ruined. I am just ruined. Dad, I I don't deserve, and he's not saying, well, this is unfair, God. No. He's not saying, God, I tried hard. He's just saying, God, just kill me, because I don't deserve to even see you. I don't deserve, because I, he says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty it's God. It's God. And and yes, Jesus hugs us. And yes, the Father wipes away our tears, but never, never putting away his holiness. We will never understand how amazing forgiveness is until we understand how holy God is. We'll never understand how broken we are until we understand God's holiness and his otherness. I saw the Lord, the Holy One, and God, the Holy One, is absolutely above us and distinct from us. He is absolutely, perfectly pure. There is nothing wrong with it. And all Isaiah can do, and all we can do in his presence, is to fall on our faces and fall apart. That is the biblical picture of God. Old Testament, New Testament. And for Isaiah, that's what defined his life. It was understanding the holiness of God. He is so other, and we must never forget that. Annie Dillard talks about this. She says this. She says, it is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should if you issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. You know, we kind of say, oh God, I just want to be near you. And that's true, we want that. Friends, he is so holy. He is so different from us. He is so powerful that if we were to just have a pinhole, a pinhole glimpse of his true holiness, we'd probably just die. Isaiah says, woe is me. Woe is me. Friend, that's a God worth following, okay? I mean, if we turn God into just somebody who's nice and cuddly and warm, he's a great shoulder to cry on. But until we let him be holy... Until we know that someday he will drive all that's dark away. Until someday he will let loose his holiness and it will purge everything else. We need to let God be holy. And when we come to church and when we pray, think about it. What if every time before you pray this week, here's a specific challenge for you. If before you pray, just stop and, and, and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. Woe to me. For I am ruined. I think your prayers would have a little more seriousness to them. You're coming into God's presence. And he is absolutely, completely perfect and pure. We have to start there, but we can never end there because God's holiness doesn't end there. Again, this is not a separate part of God. God's holiness doesn't end there because God the Holy One also cleanses us from our sins. Look at what happens next. Th- then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. Remember the smoke? The smoke? God's altar in heaven is always burning because God's holiness is there also to purify us. God is a God who doesn't in his holiness say, I will destroy. God in his holiness says, I will purify, I will cleanse, which he he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth. I'm a man of unclean lips. And, And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is paid for. That Isaiah experiences what, what we're going to see in Jesus Christ. That Jesus pays the price for our sins. That this coal, it burns away all of his sins. And Isaiah now realized that he can stand in the presence of a holy God. That he can lift his eyes up. He still can't look. He still can't look God face to face. He still cannot see that. But he can stand. He, he, can, he, can, he knows that he's been forgiven. And, and, and friends, when we say... That God has forgiven our sins. I mean, we're talking about a purity and and, and a cleansing that is so unreal. It's going from I deserve death to saying I'm alive and God cleanses us. God burns away all that is wrong. He cleanses us from our sins and he uses us and it's his holiness that does this. It's not his holiness and his grace against each other. It's his holiness that does us. Then I heard the voice uh, uh, of the Lord saying, God himself spoke. I got to believe the whole temple was shaking. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah now says, God, there's only one thing I want to do. I think if you and I could, could really understand the holiness of God, we'd recognize that there is nothing. Nothing compared to the possibility of dying and hearing that one with all of his otherness, with all of his perfect, perfection, with all of his purity, with all of his holiness, with all of his light, saying, well done. Can you imagine anything better than that God saying, well done? Isaiah said, I'll go anywhere. And God said, they're not going to listen to you. He said, I don't care. He I'm not preaching for them. I'm preaching for you. I want them to know you. I want them to see you. I want them to understand your holiness. I want them. And Isaiah goes anywhere. Because he has seen the holiness of the Lord. And so as we wrap this up, we had the first piece to our diamond. And it is God, the Holy One. And if we see that, if we see that, it'll change how we live we'll understand grace we'll understand forgiveness and we'll say god i don't want to i don't want to ever get away from you help me to be holy let's pray together father holy 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 you love us you are so powerful help us to see your holiness we can only do that through Jesus so that it's in his name that we pray amen